listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hand Cell. This is the bookseller segment of the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your producer and host, Mick Koleski, alongside, as always, my co-host, the superstar of Skylight Books. <laughs> Maddie Gobo, events manager. Hi, Mick. Hi. Don't look insulted when I compliment you. That, that was more of like a, you know, I'm embarrassed, but not insulted. Um, you it. You, how you been this uh this past week this has actually been like a pretty quick turnaround for us in terms of hand cells yeah um yeah it's been a busy week uh we're like getting ready for kind of like an onslaught of big virtual events coming up next week and the week after and the week after that um so i was just trying to get all of my ducks in a row and then the the big thing we got going just yesterday is a new indiegogo campaign um which i can talk more about in a second but uh yeah apart from that um just rolling along cruising cruising for a bruising cruising for i'm a not bruising. i don't want to be bruised <laughs> <laughs> it just came to my mind at the time so maddie it, it is spook season and before we get more into the indiegogo campaign i had a question for you because i've been thinking of like some literary theme like halloween costumes and i really wanted to get your opinion on this is the Mask of the Red Death, the Edgar Allan Poe, do you think dressing up as the Red Death is a good joke or a poor taste costume this year? <laughs> well, I mean, just based on the, the uh, material, the original material, it, it is a, an instance of punching up rather than punching down as you're making the joke because the Red Death's vi victims are all evil rich people and it's totally fine to freak them out and make them uncomfortable right like we should all be agreed on that at least in 2020 here right. yeah the white house being of course prince pa prospero's palace yeah so, i mean yes <laughs> we had a very literal reenactment of, <laughs> of the crucial right. scene i've seen it pop up and it's like one of those things where like the analogy just fits so well it it it, it hurts you know and he's yeah. doing like a white house announcements 
are like holding a rally basically at the White House later this week, I just read. So, okay, good. Thank you. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad to have you at the validation. If anyone gives me anything, I'm sending them to you. All right, if anyone gives me any guff for the that's costume. Fair. Where are you gonna go in this costume? That's my question. I think that's important to, to establish. Um, like hang out at Taco Bell or like? <laughs> I'm just gonna roam the streets basically. I'm just going to like go to the hills, the Hollywood Hills, and mm -hmm. just kind of like walk amongst like the partiers that I'm sure will be hosting something. Yes. Just to like, you know. Show up at one of those like, TikTok houses. <laughs> like this started off as a joke, but the more we're talking about it, the better of an idea this actually sounds like to just go like scare some rich people up in the hills. Like I'm yeah. super down to do that on Halloween night. Yeah. Well, this but reminds it was really me. This reminds me actually, like right before Trump was elected in the fall, in the summer and fall of 2016, there were all those like clowns, like clowns. sightings. What the hell happened to ever, that? Did we ever figure out what that was about? No, it was just like people who just, it, just, it became like a, like a meme that people just decided to dress up as clowns and just stand places, like creepy clowns and just stand places, which I think is hilarious to the point where like, or if you're okay with like getting popped once or twice, because like, I feel like a lot of those, if you're doing that, if you're just dressing up as a clown and you're just standing creepy places, like people are, should be, you know, validated and. Uh, Trying to just, chase you off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you get punched, like you gotta like shrug your shoulders and be like, okay, I kind of deserve that. But like, if you're okay with that. That's a funny prank. Are we, yeah. are we, so is the Mask of the Red Death, I guess my, my segue is, is the Mask of the Red Death uh, the completion of the creepy clown standing in the woods project for your Yeah, theory? yeah. I think the way we're, we're envisioning it, it is sort of like the ultimate form of just like, instead of random bystanders, you have like targets who deserve it and complete with like a lot, you know, a nice little Edgar Allan Poe metaphor, which is... I think this is, yeah, just a brilliant idea at this point. That's great. Yeah. Well, I was going to just like stay in my ho in my apartment and like hang out here. So I was like, I, if I'm going to spend, I like, I can't like not dress up at, for Halloween, even if I don't have anywhere to go. So it was just going to be like that. But uh, yeah, now I have an actual purpose and an agenda. Thank you, Maddie. You're so welcome. I'm thinking about dressing up as one of the aliens from They Live. Um, uh I found an incredible they live bodysuit at Buffalo Exchange like it is like painted with like it's beautiful it's like the movie poster but on a bodysuit for some reason <laughs> um, that's incredible. with like yeah. the mask and everything because that's the toughest part so I was thinking I might make my own mask because um, I do really like to I love to do a little paper mache action um, so I might make a mask so that I can switch back and forth between looking normal and looking like the, the aliens that's that's next level that's yeah. incredible i i don't know if i'll be able to pull this off but so maddie i uh tell us a little bit more about the uh the indiegogo campaign what's what's new with that yeah so this campaign is part of our new project which we're calling a virtual school book fair um the idea is that we are asking our community to donate funds to purchase uh, large 
quantity of books for kids and we're going to distribute the books uh, among seven different public schools all over LA. Um, that's being coordinated by our friends at Punk Rock Martha's, which is a great uh, local organization um, that you may have you may be familiar with if you've been listening to this podcast because we had Angie Williams on here uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Angie's amazing. She's just one of my favorite people and does so much for for kids in LA. Um, she's a public schools advocate. Um, so yeah, so we are, our goal is to raise $20,000 by the end of the first week of November. Um, and then we'll be able to purchase uh, a lot of books for kids from K through 12. And then we'll kind of like distribute them based on requests from different teachers and librarians. And then the kids will get to um, come to the schools on special pickup days and pick the books that they want. And uh, it's going to be totally free. Um, we're also working with two magnet schools and magnet school students are often bused in so they don't necessarily have transportation to the school. So we're going to arrange some um, direct shipping for those students so that everybody gets um, access to books. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan. Um, and if you donate to the campaign, you will be entered in a raffle to win a very cool Punk Rock Martha's t-shirt and one of our brand new skylight tote bags which are coming at the end of this month they're really cute uh I, if i say so myself because i designed them <laughs> you did yeah, they're incredible yeah um, i'm really excited they're like very cute like little animals making books together and um they have green handles and they're going to be uh they're all open line work so that you can actually color your own bag if you want to um, so yeah lots of cool fun stuff coming uh later this month if if they do if someone does win the tote, what would you what sort of materials would you recommend they color in the they color it in with? <laughs> well, ideally, we'll have some uh, some fabric markers that we can sell you that will work really well for it. Um, but you could totally get away with a sharpie. Uh, you know, uh, what else? Acrylic paint would work because it's canvas. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could just try it out. You, I mean, you can also use washable stuff, and then you can change the colors. Ooh, ooh. Um, so like a washable Crayola marker would totally work too. All right. So yeah, everyone, uh, please check that out when it comes when is it going to be launching? Maddie? Oh, it already launched and launched on Thursday. Um, you can find the link. It's in our bio of our Instagram. Um, I'll also put up a banner on the homepage so you can just do one click. So check out skylightbooks.com and uh, you should be able to find it there pretty easily. Okay, and I'll put a link to the Indiegogo in the description for this episode as well. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got a pretty cool uh, interview coming up. You want to tell us a little bit about that before I ask you what you're reading? Yes. Um, yeah, so this interview is so much fun. Um, I talked this morning to my friends Jamie Flam and Vanessa Ragland, who are the uh, producers at... Dynasty Typewriter, which is um, just my favorite theater in LA. Um, we've done a, a couple of events with them in person. And then when uh, COVID hit, I reached out to them and we've been working together on some just fantastic virtual events. Um, so they're, they're producing a lot of our big book with ticket events, including the VE Schwab event coming up next Saturday, the 17th at 6 p.m. Um, they are so creative and so lovely and warm and generous um, and very funny, both very funny people. Um, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy this interview. Um, you know, th this is kind of the story of how 
this indie theater venue came to be, how these two people kind of got a space to, to live their dream and um, all of the good work that they've been doing since then. It was a long journey, uh, but yeah, Dynasty Typewriter, if you haven't been there, is a magical space and they do some amazing stuff there. Um, and I'm really looking forward to them reopening. But in the meantime, they've got a lot of other cool projects that they will tell you about in the interview. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Uh, so last couple of weeks, you've been not super big on the reading bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> pretty I know it's like such a bad form for a bookseller to be like, I hate reading in books right now. <laughs> like, but and I've said it hard. multiple times. Like, I really need to like give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it, I mean, super understandable. Everyone gets a little tired, and especially when you're trying to shove words into your head right now. Like, that's not the space you want to be reading in. Has that changed since we last spoke? Yeah, it's changed a little bit. I mean, I, I still haven't, like, finished a book in a while, but I now have a couple going that I'm excited about. Um, the first one is Memorial by Brian Washington, um, which is realist fiction about uh, this gay couple who... Um, one of them has to return to his home country of Japan and his mother comes to stay with his partner uh, and they have kind of like this very bizarre sort of odd couple dynamic. Um, it's, it's really good writing so far, um, very perceptive, very thoughtful, very sort of like emotion-based. Um, so if you like sort of like surgical deconstructions of like <laughs> interactions between people, I highly recommend it. Um, the other thing I'm reading is definitely more in the spirit of spooky season. It's The Woman in Black by Susan Hill, um, which is a, it's from the 80s. It's uh, just a, just a delicious, like classic gothic horror. Um, it's about this country, this city solicitor who um, goes out to stay in this country house, this mysterious old country house with his family and begins experiencing all manner of strange apparitions. Um, it's just like, yeah, it's perfect for the season. It's so spooky. The language is so like ornate and beautiful and like, you know, uh, anachronistic, um, cause it was written in the eighties. Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels, it feels very like of the period. Um, and it's short, which is, as you know, my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> and I believe it's being turned into a movie with Daniel Radcliffe, which is like, so perfect. Like think about like, a young solicitor who gets drawn into a web of supernatural intrigue, like that is Daniel Radcliffe to a T. So I'm excited yeah. to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he does, especially now, have sort of like a excitable everyman energy. So it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I could see it. I, did that come out already? I Maybe. Like that came yeah. out. The book just ago. says like soon to be a major motion picture. So I, I, I don't know when it came oh, out. Okay. I'm yeah, I think it, it, it. I think it actually did come out, and it was actually not bad. Not bad. I, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I remember, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm thinking of the right movie, but yeah, it's 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 finally cooled off in LA a little bit. We're down to like the 70s this week, so it's mm -hmm. perfect time to start getting into spooks. Yeah, uh, Nick, what are you reading? So I, I have two books to talk about today uh, as well. Uh, the first is The Red Shirt by Corey Sobel. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. It's um, a novel about a freshman football player um, in college, college football player. I know the the writer, the author, Corsabel, actually played for uh, Duke University, and I think that 
I mean, it's pretty obvious that this is based off of those experiences, but um, it's the, the main character is gay. And what I think the um, book does a really interesting job of is both taking football uh, seriously on its own merits as like a sport, which I appreciate being a, a reluctant fan, um, but also sort of exploring the sort of like sadomasochistic and like almost inherently homoerotic uh dynamics in the in the football team like from the coaches to like older players and down and like how that you know really uh is instrumental in this the protagonist like coming of age um it i'm always looking for something that takes sports i think seriously in the world of not novels and fiction uh non-fiction you, you can find plenty of it but it seems like it's tough to find at least now in the in like a post Hemingway post you know that like sort of over masculine <laughs> sort of writing style mm -hmm. uh it's been tough to find but um this book did a really good job and it scratched that itch uh and then in the spirit of spooky season I uh moved I started rereading uh House of Psychotic Women by Kirla Janice um which uh scratches another weird itch that i always have which is this sort of blend of uh like criticism with memoir um the way that those two sort of coincide here it's uh like a movie by movie breakdown of female paranoia in horror movies um paranoia and like psychosis the way that uh the female mind deteriorates and like changes over the course of a horror movie um with sort of a recounting of her childhood like a pretty traumatic childhood um and i just love the way that like she blends those two together i think it adds subjectivity to, to the criticism which i think always exists but like there's always like whenever you talk about film criticism or literary criticism in general there's always a sort of like veneer of like objectivity that people try and paint over <laughs> their subjects with but i think how you react to art is always a subjective experience and to pretend otherwise is always seems kind of like i don't know uh, over overly like who like oh, hubris like an example of hubris to me yeah. um yeah. so house of psychotic women i definitely recommend for anyone who's interested in like you know really good memoir or uh you know even just like good feminist critique of like b-grade horror movies um a lot of which can be found on the criterion channel right now as a matter of fact mm. um let's scare jessica to death is a movie that i've been I, try and tell people to watch all the time uh especially around spooky season and that's like on the criterion channels like 70s horror collection that they just released alongside one of my favorite slasher movies of all time slumber party massacre which sounds completely like you know juvenile and sophomoric but is was written by like a lesbian feminist uh 
she founded like a like a extremist lesbian feminist group in New York in like the 70s. Completely, totally rad. Definitely check it out. You're gonna see the post and you're gonna be like, no way that this was written by someone like that, but it's really, it's really fucking good. So awesome. uh yeah. Those are the two that I'm I'm reading and I encourage anyone else who's interested in those sort of things to read as well. <laughs> Um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death is like maybe one of the best movie titles I've ever heard. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, it's right up there with uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is a Giallo movie. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to guess that was Italian. <laughs> yeah, definitely Italian. Uh, and if you can believe it, they actually renamed it for the American release to Bay of Blood, which is Ooh. fine. But Twitch of the Death death nerve is just like so metal that it's hard to believe anyone <laughs> could have changed that but yeah let's get Jessica to death also top notch and uh definitely worth watching if you're into if you're into some like higher level spooks nice I need to like really expand my horror movie repertoire because I was like such a weenie until very recently I refused to watch anything scary so now I've been like working my way through the kind of like entry-level horror like I just saw Train to Busan last week and then I just saw The Craft. I'd never seen The Craft before. The Craft? Um, I, I there's so many people especially in independent bookstores who The Craft is like made for like a 90s teen witch like it's Heathers but with witchcraft like how are you gonna how can you fight that? <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome. Fairuza Balk I mean just transfixing screen presence like one of those people with a face that you cannot look away from like i love examples of like the perfect casting and the perfect movie and that is that is it that Mm -hmm. fruits bulk in the craft is like actually perfect casting um heat ulrich too as like the sort of like douchebag uh boyfriend Right, right, right. Who does not meet a happy ending. <laughs> no, no, he does not. Nor does he arguably deserve to, but... Certainly uh, not, no. <laughs> yeah, Skeet Ulrich, best 90s horror villain. We need to talk about him more. But yeah, yeah. You need recommendations, Maddie. I'm right here. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up. What should, wait, what should I watch tonight, Mick? What's, what's the next one I should watch? You should watch Raw. Um, Is that the cannibal one? Yes. Oh, I'm scared. I'm <laughs> yeah. so scared already. It's, it's, it's uh, not so much scary as, like, it's French, right? So it's, like, obviously about, like, a sexual awakening because that's what French horror, like, is. But <laughs> it's incredible. It's so fucking good. I tell every... It was, like, my favorite... It, it was my favorite... I think in my, like, my letterbox rankings for, like, that year, it ended up being number one. Wow. So, Yeah. All right. Or all right. Slumber Party Massacre depends on like lowbrow or highbrow. You know, like where are you, what are you going for? Yeah, I, just because there's nothing I like like a dumb than like a good slatcher. You know, mm-hmm. nothing more rewarding sometimes than to see like some funny drill bit murders or something. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I have to cover my eyes if it gets too bloody. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe if you're going for like more of a psychological one, definitely watch Less Scared Just to Go to Death. It's on Criterion. Yeah. Give right. me my login. All right. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, All right. Man. You got it. And uh, 
to all the listeners, you, next thing you'll be hearing is Maddie returning with the Dynasty Typewriter interview. So enjoy that. Maddie, enjoy the spooks. Thank you. I will. I'm going to cover my eyes a little bit, but I'll, I'll try and be brave for you. You can, you, hey, you do it the way you need to. Just peek out every once in a while, check and see if it's safe. <laughs> Classic. All right, Maddie, I'll see you next week. Um, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce today's guests. I'm really excited because these two people are some of my favorite people to work with in um, my own sort of day-to-day of producing events. Um, they are fantastic event producers in their own right. They run a local theater venue that I think is the coolest theater in LA. Um, I'm not biased at all, but that's, that's just facts. That's just facts and figures. Um, the, the theater of which I speak is called Dynasty Typewriter. You can already tell it's so cool just by the name. Um, and my guests today are Vanessa Ragland and Jamie Flam. They are in charge. They're running the show there at Dynasty Typewriter. Um, I wanna tell you just a little bit more about the theater. Dynasty Typewriter has quickly established itself as one of LA's premier destinations for highly curated entertainment, including comedy, music, live podcasts, screenings, and immersive experiences. They really mean it when they say immersive experiences. Like I have been to some of these so-called immersive experiences and they are a trip. It is so fun. Um, Yeah, Dynasty just throws great parties. Uh, You guys should all get an invite. Um, Named LA's Comedy Clubhouse by the New York Times and LA's Best Alt Comedy Venue by LA Weekly, Dynasty prides itself on creating enchanting connective experiences for artists and audiences alike. Um, And they have some great new projects that they're going to tell you about today. And we're also going to kind of talk about like what the deal is right now um, with theaters being shut down all over the country. How are theaters surviving and hopefully trying to thrive despite everything? Um, And I think Vanessa and Jamie have been doing some really exciting stuff, um, not not least of which is uh, collaborating with me. So... (laughs) um, Jamie and Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks Thanks for for having us. (laughs) Oh, I like how you said that in sync. That was really cute. (laughs) Um, We do that sometimes. We do that sometimes. (laughs) I would love for you both to first, uh, can you tell our listeners like who you are and, and how you got into running a theater here in LA, how that became your thing? Sure. Um, We've been uh, best friends for 15 years. We met at a small theater in 2006 called West Side Eclectic. It was in Santa Monica. Uh, and I was the very first employee hired uh, to run that. I just got back to LA from uh, San Francisco where I lived for a few years after college and put out an ad for uh, an employee. And Vanessa, I think you had been in LA for a week yeah, a week or less. I had been, I just got married, moved across the country, and I was going to be writing poetry was the plan. I was, I'd started grad school and I was like taking a year off. And within the first week I went insane and I was like, I don't want to be alone. And um, I answered an internship thing on Craigslist and I went to this theater in an alley in Santa Monica. I met Jamie and um it was just so funny how quickly we became friends and um, how much we learned in what would turn out to be this like incredibly pivotal place and job and thing that would set us on a course for our life. Isn't that crazy? It really is. Yeah. We, like it, when it, I rethink about it, it's very weird. 
Yeah, we usually don't have the space to tell the story. It always feels like we have to kind of get it all in a one-minute soundbite. So let's take the slow roll, Matthew. <laughs> yes, paint the picture for me. I want to. I want to be there in that alley with you. Well, uh, I do remember it was a dark alley and I just remember I think there's three chairs on this bare bones stage because the, really the theater at that point was about 40 or 50 chairs a stage and that was it and but yeah I think it was me Vanessa and her husband sitting in three chairs um, and just instantly just you know I think there was a camaraderie and a like a I think almost instantly a shared appreciation of the absurd yes. and um, yeah, playfulness that just instantly, I think Vanessa was like, yeah, come on as an intern within like a week, you know, you, and I think we're learning as we've learned at Dynasty too. It's like, you know, pretty quickly if someone is the right vibe. And so I think within a week, it was like, do you want to actually work here and become a night manager? And then from there, we started doing shows and collaborating. We were on an improv team together and yeah, we were there for about three years. And through that, actually, um, it was 2007 or eight. And we raised, um, Mark, the owner, um, a bunch of money. This was like YouTube was just getting started. And um, online video was becoming a thing. And so now all of a sudden, I was tasked with producing episodic content for the internet. And (laughs) Um, Vanessa and I, you know, collaborated on a couple shows together and that was our first time writing together and we fell in love with that. So that was that phase. And then the money ran out and the economy tanked. And so that job was done. Well, and it's nice because we've already, it is funny, the spirals of life, like, oh, we've done a version of this somewhere else and survived and and learned and come out. Um, But yeah, after that period, well... This theater is now thriving. It's called um, like West Side Comedy, Mission Improbable's West Side Comedy. And it's still there under different ownership. And they've made it a really great spot for improv on the West Side um, and added a bar and stuff. And then then in the meantime, Jamie and I kind of uh, career-wise did separate things, but always throughout all of that, we're producing shows together and writing together. So and like always lived close and everything. So we kept working together for the next chapters. Um, I was doing more performance and acting and voiceover. And I went through the Groundlings program and Sunday Company and Jamie was um, killing it at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think, oh yeah, 2010. I, I was, I think it's worth noting there was a major, um, at least for me, um, at rock bottom uh, period. Uh, oh, I forget, I always forget that for you but i remember those long phone calls while you were driving to grandma's <laughs> oh yeah i mean it punctuated by you know moving in with my grandma for a while and and then with my parents which you know i think especially even since then that's become less of a kind of a uh, what's the word i'm looking for shit stain of your life <laughs> yeah it's very normal now <laughs> no yeah like um all millennials well, even then, their parents at some point right like truly and even them. when this was happening there were so many tv shows suddenly about it it was like that boom of like everybody's like moving back in because truly there was not an economy for people to thrive in the housing market was so unsustainable job market was insane so um yeah i mean I, f- I know that you felt that you were in a, j- a rock bottom, Jamie, like, but the people in your orbit did not feel that. Totally. And, well, I, and I bring that up just because anyone listening, like at that point, if you had told me that, you know, a decade later, 
you're running a venue and all these things are happening, I, I would have I would have been very surprised because it didn't. But then, seem if like they'd there be like, hope. and then there's a pandemic and the venue is shuttered, you're like, that's more. Like yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, the comfort zone. <laughs> but I mean, all through that, there's always a vision. Like I think it, we've always, as performers, you know, had visions for uh, a venue. And I think at Westside, those for those three years, like you know, when, when you're not an owner. You know, you have ideas, but of course, you're just always working for other people. And um, and then going to the improv, where for six years I was booking two rooms there, and I learned so much, and it was such a valuable and rewarding experience in so many ways. But it was still ultimately a corporate comedy club with um, so many rules, and um, you know, ultimately they they weren't looking for someone with vision; they were looking for someone just to fill seats any way possible. Which and he, well, get yeah, that. I mean, we get that now. So it's funny because a lot of the things that we were commiserating on as as friends now that the tables have turned, we're like, oh, I see why some of that exists. Like, but I was having similar feelings with my time at the Groundlings. Like, so much good, so much wonderful talent and wonderful people, but really small um, roles for people to fit into in a very specific way that things were done and things were funny. And also it led to a lot of people feeling really crummy. Like you would be surrounded by your friends that are feeling judged and not artistic. And so we've always been trying to like identify what we loved about experiences and about the arts. And we love like magical places like um, the Magic Castle and Madonna Inn, little places that kind of go the extra mile to make you feel like you got so lucky to even be there. And we always wanted to make an environment like that that was really welcoming and also just a little bit of a, a portal to another place. And we even got to experiment with that at Westside. And then at the Improv, we would do these little shows and we actually had the, it was called the lab. And when I, that was the first place at the improv, it was the small room that second city was there for, I think 10 or 20 years. And so they had this little room that just needed um, a little bit of love put in. And, um, but you know, we, when we would put on shows there, that's when we really started to, you know, want from the moment someone audience member arrived for the experience to start. And so booking musicians, having smoke machines outside so that literally the moment you are walking up, you're like, oh my God, the experience. And placing now. characters outside yeah. or in the line and, and just like trying to build moments of interaction that would be like, you would immediately know, oh, this is something different. So yeah, that all led to, uh, you know, I was, I think very quickly disenchanted um, with the culture at the improv. And again, I think it's important to say like, I, it was such a wonderful experience and, and so many wonderful people and uh, we would not be where we're at without that. Um, but as we're telling the longer version that now I'm getting in my head that it's way too long. But um, I called my brother-in-law's dad who was um, basically a real estate guy in LA who's since passed, but um, I would see him once a year at Thanksgiving. And he was always like, you know, if you're, you're doing these comedy shows, I, I got a bunch of theaters I own. And um, one day I just, I was like, I called him up. I was like, Hey, tell me about these theaters. And he mentioned one called the Hayworth on Wilshire. And he's like, I'll put you in touch with the guy that's running the joint. Um, and I called him up immediately, took a tour immediately. I think called Vanessa. I was like, I found our place. And at the time it was this 
almost 100-year-old theater. It was built in 1926. There was the main theater where we are now, which is 200 seats. Uh, and just, um, it was kind of falling apart at the time, <laughs> but it was still had all the, um, everything you need for. A, for yeah, a- and the bones were so good that even falling apart, it looked good. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, this was pre-renovation. So it was like an arts complex in LA that was a hundred years old. So now it's been renovated, but upstairs it used to be a ballroom and two black box theaters and, and the um, around the, the bar on the side around the corner. And it was just like this amazing place that has this wild Los Angeles history of like the child acting school that trained Shirley Temple was there. But I mean, like if you look through these costumers that had set up shop there, the different plays, it had been a revival movie house, um, the first Tiki bar, like this amazing only in LA kind of history that was just like, it gives me goosebumps even to talk about it. No, because I forget about all that history. And then it became La Fonda, um, you know, the first mariachi restaurant, um, I think in the, Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> I don't talk hemispheres. I'll leave that to I, I you. I <laughs> feel like it was a hemisphere uh, situation, but um, it's a hemisphere thing. It's uh, it's a hemisphere thing. <laughs> oh well, but okay. So we. This is the such a long version. Oh my gosh! If anyone's listening, bless your heart. So at that time, we went and it coincided perfectly when Jamie found this venue because I had been doing like a fundraiser for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and I wanted to do a big event and I wanted Jamie to do it. And so we were like so excited because we've already been producing events. We're like, let's make this one really special because we'll use a different space. We won't have to play by anyone's rules like for the first time. And so we put on this show that was, you know, our dream show and we had an amazing lineup and an amazing band the blasting company like i mean like tubas and and everyone's in period dress and we had like a candy girl and everyone got dressed up um to this day it was like i think one of the best events we've ever put together and of course that was for charity but even i mean the lineup was you know bob odenkirk and uh who else was performing? Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, Rob Delaney. Yeah. I mean, it was a lineup of people that are just like every single act was wonderful. And some of the people were people no one had heard of. And we put up stupid songs that we made up amidst these like icons of comedy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was so, so special. So that was our like deep meet cute with this theater where it was like oh we we should really be together but the meet cute always has that second act where you find out after the chemistry that there's some fatal flaw that you'll have to get over mm-hmm. and the fatal flaw was like over a million dollars worth of renovations that needed to be done <laughs> well it was, it was literally um yeah and that was the first time i put together a business plan and it was like really very broad it was like not only was it like, let's have a theater here, but upstairs, let's take having built improv schools, we can make this the new hub, um, a place to develop talent, obviously have screenings, have a bar, like, so put together this whole thing. But yeah, ultimately, it was kind of in a classic way, like the the, the guy who was running the place at the time was like, this is gonna be your, your place, kid. Um, as soon as you put in that $700,000 elevator, and as soon as you what? fix the plumbing and like, <laughs> Um, but the the big lesson was, and because it was disappointing, because it was like, there was a group of us, um, performers and friends and collaborators that like for a few months, it was like, we're moving to the Hayworth. This is going to happen. Yeah. And that was 2013. 
And of course it didn't work out. Um, and it was just such a blessing because the next few years at the improv, we really, really learned the business more. I mean, as we all know, it's like who you know in so many ways and just made inroads and built our relationships with so much more talent and, you know, built. And our- we had a more specific vision at that point too, because of the work that, I mean, that was, that business plan was all Jamie, but because of that, um, kind of shape to our dreams, it became a lot easier to have the dream and share the dream and talk about what we'd like to build to, which before that had been a little bit more just, you know, tongue in cheek and playful and like, yeah, there'll be a venue and there'll be a thing. And then it was like, oh no, this is, we intend to make this happen somehow. So our regular life got a little layer of meaning because we knew that everything was kind of funneling towards a bigger dream. Yeah. And yeah, having that focus. And, there, you know, I talked to so many people over the next couple of years, just planting the seed. Like every night there'd be conversations like, how, how would you feel about if there was a, a venue on the east side that kind of played more to this kind of sensibility and was getting that buy-in night after night after night that just built the confidence um, that there is a need and a desire for what we want to build. And so that all leads to basically uh, a rogue email I get a few years later from a producer friend of ours saying, hey, um, a friend of mine has a new spot on the east side. I've thought of you. Um, do you want to meet him and, and find out more about it? And at that point, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's let's see. I don't think, I think we had our sights set on other things at that moment. But um, it turns out it was the Hayworth. And <laughs> in the meantime, um, producer Genji Cohen and her husband at the time, Christopher Noxon, um, bought the building they put in all that money that we didn't have to renovate the building they transformed the upstairs into production offices for writers rooms yeah or black orange is the new black and of course glow and all these shows they put the money into the theater and just gave it kind of a a nice little uh period appropriate makeover i mean they genji did a really loving genji is a big la head but she loves um she loves Los Angeles and she loves the history of it. So she did a really beautiful restoration of the building. And so, yeah, we all of a sudden, we were back in this totally unexpected, organic way at the Hayworth. And I remember in the very first meeting with Christopher, like, you know, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, but like breaking out my phone and showing him pictures of our event that was called Fancy and Enchanting. And him, him, his mind was like, you are exactly what we're looking for. And I was like, I'll, I remember leaving that day and calling Vanessa Amelia and saying, we're, we're, we're going to make this happen. And of course, it, it took about a year and a half, I think, from beginning to end to the, you know, there's so many steps that happen and signing a lease and raising money. And, but it finally happened. And we did a Kickstarter in October. Oh, my God. Three years ago. Yeah. It, it was starting probably right around this day. Yeah. What if it was today? <gasps> oh, no uh, way, man. And yeah, I think the Kickstarter, like we had a lot of reservations about doing a Kickstarter and any crowdfunding because I don't know. There's a way for it to feel icky. Uh Um, But we really lovingly designed that with like the vision of how to invite people into the world of what we were making instead of like, we really need money to make this happen. It was a much more clear idea of, of like what they were, what we were trying to build truly for, people to come and play in. And um, that Kickstarter ended up being successful 
in all the ways. And I think the most important way wasn't just the finances, because I do think there's always a way to make that stuff happen. You know, the older you get, the more you're like, oh, those things that are so intimidating, like money and all that, it's real. It's obviously a real struggle. And I don't mean to underplay that, but there are ways to make things happen. And I think that there's a lot of barriers that people try to put in front of people that don't look like a typical business person that like, it's nice to sort of see, you know, wave the smoke away and be like, people can do it. Um, But the biggest win of that Kickstarter was really right from opening the doors. We had these people that had literally bought into the magic of the place. And um, they are still, you know, three years later, as we are now in our seventh month of a pandemic, it is like, a lot of it is that core community that has been there as we kind of like, you know, asked them to come and dream this dream with us that has really gone the distance and helped make everything like this special magical thing it is. Yeah. And I think tapping back in right in this moment too, and it is still a dream, but um, that was how it was presented and remembering, I think that as humans, we all have our dreams. And I think that inviting people into it is very powerful in a way that I haven't thought about in a long time, but yeah. And that is why people continue to contribute. Um, and that's been a big part. And I know you want to talk about that, Maddie, but like how the hell does the theater stay alive during a pandemic? Um, and a lot of it's the continued goodwill. And I think obviously when you can show not just that you have a dream, but you can execute on it and not that we haven't learned every step of the way, but that we continue to fulfill or try to at the best we can our original promise, which is to, learn, grow, build this thing with love and enchantment, which is our favorite word, and make it a community. And so I think even without the walls of our space um, right now, we're, we're able to continue that mission. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Like I feel like the first time I came to Dynasty was for one of your carnivals. Um, and Dynasty I, like, Land. Yeah, Dynasty mm-hmm. Land. And I, I walked up and there's a a puppeteer doing like a marionette who's who's dying like on a little tiny stage right out in front i know the one (laughs) i was i was disturbed but i was like okay like this is another level like this theater has they're they're going the extra mile here um yeah and then like every step further into the theater i took was like discovering some new awesome activity or um you know set design or performer that like just was transportive like it really like you you guys really do execute that dream like it is it was it was like it swept me away immediately well we really tried to um put ourselves always like in the the head and heart of our audience and and talent really anyone that walks in the space so it's like um and we've gotten better at it and like um but yeah from the how would we feel how do we feel when we walk well, in? Well, we want, I mean, even just in our own shoes, like we want to be delighted and um, and excited by things. And if we don't, if we don't love the way something looks or the way something makes us feel, then why would anyone else? And I think that that's the wonderful kind of like artists and people that come to these things. Everyone's so playful, but like we usually are working with artists that we don't need to micromanage what they're doing. We've invited them to come do the thing they do best. And because we know it will be so delightful. And yeah, those dynasty land parties are, you know, some of our favorite nights in the space for sure, because usually on a show night, we can be a little bit stressed out or we're wanting to make sure everything is 
you know, perfect for everyone. And we're like, yeah, we just want to make sure the event is orchestrated so perfectly. But on those dynasty lands, it feels like a carnival. And of all of our favorite things, like we even get our favorite flavors of ice cream. What a coincidence. <laughs> and we have a puzzle table for our puzzle heads. I think truly like, and I think it is a big part of what we've, not what we've become, but I think was from the outset, like especially in LA comedy and theater environments can be so competitive and they breed a lot of um, animosity and mm -hmm. um, kind of a, a In competition. or out and yeah. And we purposefully did not open with doing a school or anything like that because we're, we want to be about the show and the experience. But those events just remind me too, it's like we, we want it to feel inclusive, like in a very authentic way um, where it doesn't feel like it's all just clicky. Like this, this is a place that anyone can feel comfortable. And I think we've been pretty successful at that. Yeah. So um, a big pat on our backs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was sounded dicky. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think I think like stating your intentions is not dicky, uh, and then like following through on them is also not dicky. Um, but yeah, I think that is like something that feels really special about Dynasty is that not only are you putting on these shows, you're also cultivating this community of people who care about this kind of stuff um with the with like the dynasty land parties and then with like all of the other like ways that you connect you, you guys have like a fantastic newsletter which i always enjoy reading um you make a magazine and now you have a podcast that you're working on um beautifully tell us, tell us about the podcast <laughs> yeah we, our doing podcast my, <laughs> doing my segue <laughs> I loved it. Our podcast is a brand new little podcast, baby. Um, it's called the Dynasty Tidecast. And I know this is where all that Jamie and I would want to say are disclaimers and stuff, because we've had dreams for this podcast for years. We've both been on several podcasts that were good. And so we kind of understand how it works. And we've enjoyed being a part of, of great podcasts in the past. And we have really our ambition for like a podcast is as big as our ambition for the theater or the event or anything, but we're excited to have dynasty typecast as um, what will be a weekly podcast. So we're going to record another one today. Don't worry. We won't be all talked out. <laughs> we could talk for hours. Um, and it's a kind of a peek into the dynasty world, which has a lot of different little areas, but learning from with us as two people that would not have considered themselves business owners that are suddenly business people. Um, so kind of learning the art and pitfalls of entrepreneurship and the things as, as we go along, cause we're both sort of like intuitive empathic people that a lot of business stuff, we don't go the traditional or maybe the suggested ways on things um, to varying results and interviews with some of our very favorite talent because we're so lucky even in the pandemic the kind of people that we're working with on live streams um and classes that we've launched is like it's our favorite people and they're so smart and yeah and it'll i think it'll get weird and we have a secret bunker of things that we found that will be sort of airing relics from um from the theater which is really cool and Wait, like yeah, it's like old paraphernalia from 
child acting school days and the tiki bar and all of that stuff well there's you name it the, <gasps> we uh, i mean we're, we're building the enchantiverse um which is we i mean the name says it all <laughs> i mean and we literally in, in tandem with we launched the podcast this week with our first episode um along with our first semester of the enchantiversity which is um something we really are excited to grow and these are all i mean everything just taps back into our mission as as a company and as people what is to enchant the world is kind of the overall premise of I don't know if and a mission keep, should have a premise, but um yeah, well to keep evolving and to stay um you know excited and enthusiastic. And so our classes are things we don't want to solely offer comedy classes, but we are lucky to have these amazing people in our orbit that we're kind of encouraging them to teach what they're most passionate about. So right now we have Cameron Esposito, who is, you know, a great comic, great podcaster, an actor a writer with a best-selling book, like Cameron's all the things. Um, and she's teaching sort of the art of stand-up comedy in a class called Stand Down Comedy that's gonna have joke theory and it's very inclusive and welcoming for like the professional comic to the person that's just a fan. And we have Dave Holmes teaching um, What's Your Story? Like a class on the personal essay with amazing, every week he's got like an amazing guest professor coming in too. So you're not just getting Dave's brilliance and beauty, but you're getting these amazing authors. Um, and then we have Brent Forrester, who's a great showrunner and writer who's worked on shows like The Simpsons and The Office and Love and most recently Space Force, all sorts of stuff. And he's doing a seminar on the, the art of the pitch and he's been selling shows over Zoom. So he's like a guy that doesn't need to do this, that is doing it. And all the teachers share the kind of belief of like, Anyone that's interested in a class already makes you an interesting kind of person. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do all these things. So the podcast is hopefully a way to knit together, like all these worlds from live stream to business and friendship and letting people know the kind of offerings we have so that we can, you know, big picture, everyone can stay connected and stay sane. And we believe that the arts are a vital part of survival, truly. And, um, it's an easy time to let the world shut that down but, or not prioritize it, but um, it's incredibly unhealthy <laughs> to live like that. So we're trying to find ways to connect people with something that we think is, is truly essential. And I think I just came up with a good catchphrase or something, but um, cause we're obviously still figuring it out, but an authentic and absurd escape kind of encapsulates a lot of what we want to create with everything, but including yeah. the podcast. Like, we want to showcase our authentic selves, which is two people um, that are very optimistic ultimately, but struggle like everyone else with <laughs> trying to make sense. All of the things. World. Yeah. <laughs> um, so being able to have really candid, authentic conversations, absurd, like we're fucking, let's see, whoa, is that okay? <laughs> that's, that's okay. Cool. <laughs> then I'm going to do it too. Highlight. Um, fuck, fuck. Don't, don't get carried away now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> You've used up it's all different of our, when a girl does all it. All of our F words for this episode. That's <laughs> it. No more. Okay. We filled up the can. Okay. Uh, but yeah, absurdity. Like we we do kind of. Um, I think we're weird weirdo humans. I think like so many people. Um, but to be able to get weird and and showcase us as as writers and creating our weirdo kind of enchanted universe. Um, and then what was the, the third? <laughs> 
<laughs> I just had it. I, I don't know. Oh, and escape. Oh, yes. The idea of escape, like, we, um, we would do like to live in a fantasy realm. Um, and we have been developing, and I don't know if this is too much of behind the curtain of what we want to create, but like, we want to blur the line of reality. And we have a thousands and thousands of year history of dynasty um, and the dynasty lore. And we want to All kind the of family members and the different iterations. Yeah. And, you know, being able to take people into this realm and all the past projects and characters. So that, these are all things that over the course of the next few weeks and months and hopefully years, we get to just slowly unveil and including our process. That, that's the last part I guess we'll talk about with the podcast. Unless you want to talk about more of this is your podcast. I am not trying oh, to control. Keep anything. going. Keep going. Maddie, you are not You're getting control. a word in with these people. No, I'm, I'm listening. So I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you though. Please continue. <laughs> But like Vanessa said earlier, like we have, we're so ambitious and it's, it's very difficult to try to not for me, especially I think in the, the world of like, it's hard for me to think about a podcast without immediately going to 10 podcasts. And it's hard, hard to think about a theater and not when are we going to open our fifth theater? And when are we going to start touring the world and opening our theme park? Uh, but we just learned and we have to keep learning this lesson over and over again. But um, it really is diving into things. Uh, we could have spent the next two years more developing ideas for this podcast. Um, but by just last week, finally being like, let's just record and put something out yeah. and see where it goes. It's like uncanny how every time it's like the universe then conspires to bring it together. And we can already see kind of like a platform and a, a workflow starting to develop. And I think well, we the just... path appears in front of you. I think we could spend a long time like designing the roads, <laughs> but if you just start moving, you're going to be on a path. And so I think that's our, our constant thing that we come up against is we both love to dream and have a lot of big ideas, but those ideas can become, you know, barriers from action because you think, Oh, I'll never do it well enough. Or I, or everything has to be perfect for me to pull this off. And as soon as we get in motion on anything, it's not that it's perfect at all, but it's like, that's how you actually learn. And that's how the people appear that are supposed to help you. <laughs> and, um, and that's where you get the next idea. Like you could write the ideas for your life, but when you're living it, one day is going to change everything. So yeah, it's being present and doing stuff. I think that's just as true for producing events as it is for like living in a pandemic, right? Is that mm -hmm. You can make all these plans, but yeah. it really doesn't matter because nope. the world is just going to continue the, like, in ways that you can't predict. So I think, yeah, I think getting out there and just making it, I mean, yeah, having been the events manager at Skylight now for uh, a year, um, I've learned that you cannot ever have a perfect event. It does not exist. Um, yes. You have to be willing to have some things go wrong or at least at peace with like, with some things going wrong and then also at peace with like strange solutions coming to you in the moment for how to deal with those things going wrong and um, that's part of the beauty of i mean with creating anything but especially live events like dynasty land's a great example of you know our, our idea of having a multi-room party experience like you just kind of have to have one and then like 
and yes. see what people liked and see what was missing and like and the little disasters like and the disasters teach you a lot and what is i think the most upsetting thing is like as a beautiful as cotton candy looks nobody mm. wants that <laughs> yeah we, we bought a damn we Cotton, cotton candy, candy machine. <laughs> there was a, a good month there where our cotton candy, aka Owl's Beard, was the thing, and um, we had to sort of look at the look at the data. <laughs> and the data, data told suggests, us <laughs> um, maybe for a kids' event in the future. Uh... Not a great offering for your adults at a party. It's so cute, but yeah, people want to have a drink, or of course, our world famous Dynapop. Um, oh, but I wanted to say earlier when you were talking about your experience with events, you are such a kindred spirit. Um, we could tell from our first emails with Skylight. I don't even remember what that first event was or the first outreach, but yeah. it's been so nice to work with people that obviously care as much about their artists and how the event goes and how everyone feels. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a treat and we've always been fans of Skylight, but to kind of see how your ethos is so lovely. It's just been such a beautiful little um, match. And it's been so nice during the pandemic to work with you. I mean, yeah, we were, you know, we had to cancel so many events, obviously, but it was exciting when there were some book events to do. And those have ended up being some of our favorite things we've done in the last seven months. They've been really special times. Yeah, they've been great. I'm we so, so glad you guys were on board. Yeah, I'm so and glad you guys to... wanted to do this with me. Like, really... <laughs> Uh, this getting to see you on zoom for the first time like there was so much um build up of like who's this maddie uh, <laughs> it was like me and mary and jamie in a like in the waiting room before we got to see you just like we're gonna meet her <laughs> well i think yeah. it really does speak to in in all the worlds and arts i mean just as humans but like we especially like like when we identify that someone is just straight up kind to be to, mm -hmm. as, a, as a starting point but then of course has similar passions and like that is worth so much and we really like to really impart that to anyone listening to anything like when we're looking at with who to work with um that is number one absolutely and you can tell from emails too i think that people get so busy and especially you know we have to work with lots of agents and managers and it's so easy to decide who you would like to work with again, just based on how much they respect their tone when they're speaking to you. Um, and that the request is sort of like couched in a assumption that you're a good person, you know, mm -hmm. which I think we always try to do because we do try to always have, um, you know, the best expectations and the most, the most kind idea of like everybody's coming from a world, but you can really make relationships with people without having to know them, know them and figure out so many things that like, yeah, the nice email matters, all of the things matter. And they totally can like um, bolster a relationship to becoming like a much bigger thing. Yeah. And I think as event producers, like often it's such a stressful job, right? Like you're just, yeah. you just want to make sure nothing's going wrong or that you haven't screwed something up and to, to have a partner that like is genuinely on your team and wants to help and like has great ideas that they want to bring to you like 
that's so incredibly valuable and incredibly relieving like to just be like I'm not alone <laughs> like these yeah. people want to work with me on this like we're collaborators I'm not just like out here trying to stick things together with tape like <laughs> right and uh, we care about the people we're bringing into this like to know that both ends really care about the talent and the the audience and and wanting to make sure it feels so good the event feels so good um yeah, it's, it's so lovely. I think a lot about the, uh, the Carmen Maria Machado event we did with you guys last year um, and mm-hmm. with Pen America. That was my favorite event I did the whole year. It was beautiful. Like Carmen, of course, is one of my favorite writers, but I think she was in conversation with Kima Jones and they just had this beautiful, super moving, gorgeous conversation. And you could feel like that everybody in the room was on the same level. And then after the fact... There were posts on, do you guys know that app Lex? That's like the queer dating app. It's a text-based, no. text-only like ads for queer dating. Um, and there were like several misconnections that were all from oh, our event. Never heard that. Our, yeah. No, they were I all, love that. I, I should see if I have a screenshot of one of them because they were beautiful. They were like, I, I saw you at Carmen's reading and I just thought you were so beautiful. And I was scared to say hi. Like... Oh my gosh. This made me happy. I was like, yes, we made so that happy. space. We made that space for those people to connect with each other. I hope they did find each other. Um, but yeah, that's the kind if of If not, come to- back to Dynasty post-pandemic. We'll <laughs> find you another. <laughs> yeah, we should do, let's do a literary speed dating <laughs> when we can do that again. Um, Very open to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think like, just like your guys's like openness and creativity and also yeah kindness like generosity have been like the best one of the best things about doing this job and being here as part of this LA arts community is knowing that there are people like you guys out there um who I can just work with on stuff that I'm excited about like amazing likewise (laughs) we love it and I mean we love we love books and reading um, <laughs> and I put that little voice on, but it's true. We do. And I think, I mean, it's worth mentioning. I, I think obviously so much of our imagination, this idea of enchantment and, and the worlds um, that we would live in and want to live in starts with the books we read as a kid. Absolutely. And just, yeah. I mean, and Skylight is absolutely my favorite LA bookstore. Um, but yeah, that feeling you get just by nature of walking into a bookstore Ooh. hard to beat and so i think that it's actually smelling does a book <laughs> inspire how we approach the feeling we want when you walk in the idea that you're surrounded by ideas and and you know universes inside of every single book is it's so exciting so i think just, and that something was made for you mm-hmm. like a book your relationship with a book feels so personal like you understand it on a level that it was a love letter to you and and that there are other people that feel the same way is this huge just like matchmaker of kindred spirits but i think that's the way we want everything we do at the theater to feel like a love letter that is personal to you know noticing what makes a person feel seen and um comfortable and then yeah suddenly you're surrounded by people all feeling that good feeling yeah and i think that's why it just makes like this um this match feels so right and exciting and that we hope to continue to do a lot. I know we're going to be signing on to Lex after the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually just downloaded it. I'm just <laughs> to have my username approved and 
<laughs> There's a lot of love going on in this episode today. I mean, you guys told us, you told us your love story, and then I'm I'm telling the Skylight Dynasty love story, and now we've got actual love stories happening because of our collaborations. Oh, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, the world needs more of that because I've been looking. I don't know if you guys have looked at the news ever, um, no, but it's not as unpleasant. <laughs> I try to avoid it when I can. Very, very unpleasant stuff out there. So, True. yeah, I, it's been nice um, to, I think a lot of theaters and stores, I mean, everyone, anyone that can weather this storm, like hats off to anyone that's able to. And there's certainly no shame in the thing, if you, if people decided to shutter their businesses or pivot or any of the things, like, I think we understand and respect all of that. But even as we're having this conversation, it's, becoming clearer to me why like that wasn't a conversation Jamie and I had even um I think because it is truly vital to our own personal happiness and we believe that the arts are vital not just to like artists need to keep making and doing and expressing but people need to keep escaping you know what's being shoved down your throats and to purposefully put some some beauty or absurdity or the viewpoints of someone that has lived a different life from you in their head. And um, it's not been nice to be closed as a physical space for the last seven and a half months, but I have felt really proud of the kind of shows that we've done and moved by our community, like replying to the newsletters or reaching out in other ways. And it's like, yeah, we do human beings, a special thing about us, better than the wars and all the other things that make us these evolved creatures is that we want to make art and we want to feel things. And um, that's such a, a rare special thing. And it's scary that it, it's in jeopardy right now because there aren't these structures in place to save independent venues or save independent bookstores or there's not this like wealth of money or an underpinning of like a backup plan. Mm -hmm. So to anybody listening that is able to support your local arts or artists or anybody in any way, I think that's such a important calling right now because we need it. Humans need it. It's, it's the good thing of us. Yeah. yeah I think the, the stakes and, and I think especially in LA, like there's been so much support and so many people get it, but it is easy to take for granted. I mean, there was an article I read articles, no big deal. Oh. Um, but I'm sure you guys have seen, but like, you know, movie theaters are in some of the biggest jeopardy. Like the idea that movie theaters could be a thing of the past is nuts. Are uh, movie theaters the next blockbuster? Possibly. Um, but the point being, I didn't get in my head just now. <laughs> um, come out, come out, wherever you are. No, I just think, the, yeah, you said like the structures, like we, it's easy to take for granted, like for our entire lives, bookstores and theaters exist. Our options, uh, yeah. And their options, like they're literally like in the next continued year, like it, without the support of um, everyone, like they could be all closed. So Well, and when, what a horrible inertia that would have, right? Because like, artists young artists that are performing artists like if if independent venues close the people that you will be seeing will be headliners that are being established by you know either their careers prior to this time or because of their internet 
personality, which not to knock that, but there are different art forms. And um, the special thing about independent venues and smaller venues are that people get to become the artists they're meant to be in that space. And then they become, you know, the voices of the next generation and all these things, but without a place to work on your craft, without a workshop and without a community to let you know what's resonating, um, that's in jeopardy. And it's, it's scary to think about because it is so important to have these people popping up. And we were just really, I think the last 10 years have been exceptional for the kind of voices we're hearing and the kind of ways that like mainstream comedy has changed to be this really interesting patchwork of different backgrounds, gender identities, religions. I mean, like TV and is starting to look so much better. You know, it's starting to look so much more like a world we would like to live in. So I hope that we can keep that going. Yeah, Not I we think, dynasty, I mean human beings. No, I, I, think, I think this is also applies equally to the, to the book world. I mean, like you were saying, these independent venues, independent bookstores are places where young writers or writers who kind of came to the craft much later in their lives get their first audience. The first time they get to see people who have read their book or who want to read their book in person. And then they get to cultivate that audience over the years as they write more and more. And yeah, if we don't have any bookstores, um, you know, Amazon is not going to start doing author events. <laughs> like that's right. not going to happen. And like you're saying, it's just going to be the big names that everybody already knows that are just going to be cranking out more of the, the formula stuff that sells mm -hmm. well according to the algorithms. And that's just not a world I want at all. I do no. not want to live in that world. <laughs> well, and that, I mean, the ripple through society when you start thinking about it is scary because those books and those artists, they don't just, they're not just great because they're special. They really truly change the way people think. Mm -hmm. um, they change outlooks on life and what you think is possible and how you can think of structure or who can be funny or who can be smart or how to tell a story. And so, yeah, it's not just for the artists, it's for the sake of everybody because we all are richer for that. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a good place to leave it. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we say our goodbyes? I don't um, think, I think go to Dynasty Typewriter as a website. And from there on that website, I hate to brag, but it, we do own the domain, um, <laughs> dynastytypewriter.com. But you can find out about the Enchantiversity classes that are still enrolling. And if you're like a week late on one, those classes are still avail available. So you could get caught up really quick. And we're really excited about that. Um, and we offer scholarships. So if this sounds like something you'd like to do, you can email us and we'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, and shows and everything. Oh, you go, Jamie. I'm done. Our Enchantiversity, our live streams, um, our magazine is available there. Our, our, our souvenir shop is um, just mm -hmm. uh, filled with all sorts of uh, interesting uh, souvenirs. And our podcast information is there too. And we're really excited to, to keep putting those up. And thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Um, everybody, you heard it here. Dynasty Typewriter rules. You guys should attend their <laughs> shows, listen to their podcasts, maybe sign up for one of their classes. Um, just a, a gentle suggestion. We're doing an event with them next Saturday, the 17th, for V.E. Schwab's new book, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It's going to be really magical. Um, and if you buy a ticket through them, you will get 
a book with a signed book plate and a special art print. So it's a pretty sweet deal. Um, and we will even ship it to you internationally. So if you're not in Ooh. the US, you can still attend and you can still get a book. Pretty sweet. We're really excited about that. And the fans of um, VE Schwab are so sweet. We've gotten the sweetest emails and stuff. So yeah, there's still time for that. And we're going to do so much more together. So yes. there's ways to celebrate the Dynasty Skylight, the Die Light Love Fest. Ooh, all right. All right. We okay. Okay. Merch for that. <laughs> yeah, we're merching it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jamie and Vanessa, thank you so much. It was a delight talking to you. I say that every time we talk, but it's always true. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for being here. All right. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Hand Cell. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.